You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You know, I got to watch a game with my mom, which was fun. The Arkansas game? Yeah, watched it with my mom. She came down and visited. You called that fun? Well, no, not really. It was, it was being with my mom was fun, but okay. Uh, God, what a! Uh, let, let, let me see if I can sum this up. I like that we're winning, but Jesus Christ, LSU does play an unattractive brand of football right now. Yeah, what happened? Because it felt like we were pretty fun for about I don't know five, six weeks. Yeah, but man, it is really. I think what happened is they played so many good defenses, and after a while, that just kind of affects your confidence. Yeah, and they kind of went into that shell. But now, like the Mississippi State game was the nadir. I mean, that good. Oh my god! And the Alabama game was pretty much more of the same, and the Arkansas game was. I mean, even if they don't have that fourth quarter comeback, that is a boring, boring fucking game. Yeah, that was totally like uh, one of those giant, <coughs> giant with his finger on the forehead of the unimposing threat games, where it was just like, yeah, I, I never thought we were gonna lose it. No, me either. It's it was just, just like, like miserable the, watching us get to the end. <laughs> the only thing I was miserable about is I had to rewrite my gamer. Oh, because they made the short-lived comeback. Yeah, like I had a whole thing about how this game was ugly and boring, and then I just had to drop <laughs> the boring, boring part. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it was ugly, and they had a meaningless comeback at the end. <laughs> yeah, we were. I had a friend's birthday dinner, so I was sort of rudely watching on my phone because at at West Coast time it was like seven p.m. Yeah, and then we scored. You know, it was like twenty four three or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is in hand, but I'll peek at it now and then and then all of a sudden should be interesting yeah no it was god it was just brutal interesting just, it didn't really get interesting but it got interesting enough that you couldn't just turn it off and be like oh it's right, fun. yeah yeah like you know it turned out to be more interesting by brosette not scoring which was funny as hell uh, i have to admit i i really my respect for nick brosette went up about a million percent um and I say this as a degenerate gambler. I really appreciate it when football players troll degenerate gamblers. <laughs> there is nothing better than when a football player does something to prevent a line from being covered when it should or like the backdoor cover. And then afterwards, they're just like, screw you. I don't care. That's oh, the best. It was – him lying down was a glorious moment in gambling history. I still don't really get it from a football strategy perspective. I've never understood that philosophy of like, let's just sit on the ball. Like, if you can score points, score points. You're gonna. I'll justify it like this: our whole strategy as a team is get a big lead and sit on the football. That's true. I mean, that is literally the team strategy. And so lying down fits the team strategy pretty well. But also, three defensive backs had gone out of the game with injury. True. You know, Fulton, Harris, and someone else went – a battle all, all went Yeah, battle was already out, yeah. So you have three defensive backs out. So you don't want to give them a chance to come back. It's always better – well, not always, but it's usually better – to just kneel the ball and end the game. What I don't understand is why we didn't kneel the ball. <laughs> That's true. Like, they should have just knelt it. But, yeah, just never give them the ball back. That's actually better because then they never have a chance to come back. It was weird that they kept running plays. Forcing Brissette to lie down and <laughs> not score. Yeah, it seemed like a wires cross situation or something. It really did. Like... But I, I, I'm okay with him not scoring it. It, it. it made sense. Don't don't make your defensive backs who have already been completely banged up 
touch the field again. That's true. And it, it sounds like we're going to be without Fulton for a while. Yeah, that's not good. And no. hey, every before we get into that, hey, it's the Sneaky Good Podcast. I'm Poser. That's Dan. Hi. But Fulton being hurts bad, though it does make it less likely that he'll declare for the NFL draft. That's true. You know, blessing in disguise. I hadn't even really thought about him. To I, I guess I've given it half a thought, but I just assumed. I think he'll come back. Yeah, uh, he's he's been good, but it, I don't know. He's really come on in the second half of the season. He, he's. His family has been like shafted by the NCAA, yeah. so they might just be like, fuck you guys, we're done with you. But I, I don't think that bitterness extends to LSU. No, I don't think so at all. And I think they kind of feel, hey, look, LSU's done right by us. We'll come back for one more year. Yeah. We need him because he'll be our number one corner next year. Unless Stingley. Well, yeah. But I was more hinting that Greedy is... Oh, Greedy's gone. gone. Greedy's not coming. Yeah, Greedy is so gone. <laughs> There's no chance. I mean, Devin White has at least hinted he might come back. Uh, I would put the odds of him coming back at somewhere around 10%. Yeah. But there's at least there's at least a chance of it. Greedy is gone. He, he has made no indication that he has any intention of returning to play for free. It's true. Which is why it's important. You know, like, I don't want to say it's good that Fulton's hurt, but it is more likely he comes back next year. I think it's very unlikely now he declares for the draft. Which I think was unlikely in the first place, but it was at least a possibility. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly, he has the sort of acclaim and athletic giftings of a player that might pull like a a Kevin Tolliver move where it's like, ah, maybe never quite added up. Yeah, but, at LSU, but. but I think it is coming together, and I think yeah. if he comes back another year, he can be a first-round pick. I think so, too. Yeah. So I, I think if he sits down and honestly says, hey, what's you know what's worth the most amount of money to me, I think if he can wait another year, it's worth the most amount of money to him. Because I think the difference between being a fourth-round pick and being a first-round pick is huge. And I think that's what he's looking at right now. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good assessment. Hopefully he does. Yeah, no, I, I think that's going to be a big – and look, you know, while we're talking about you know Stingley you know, coming in to be a starting cornerback, what a big week on the recruiting front for LSU. It's true. You know, Emory coming in really transforms the team for next year. Yeah, I was – I got a couple texts about, about whether or not I was shocked – I wasn't shocked by the actual commitment because that seemed to be where it was headed. I was shocked by the timing because it just yeah. sort of all of a sudden he was like, all right, I'll commit. <laughs> uh, I, I have a way to say it. I, I think he was trending towards LSU ever since he decommitted from Georgia. Yep. Um, I'm not sure what they did to get him to that point, but good job by the staff. Yeah. Got the uh, got the bag man in order. Yeah, no, I mean, I you know, I'm not saying bagmen don't exist, but I don't think the bagman is that important. Everybody has one. Yeah, I, I don't think the difference in payment between going to LSU and Georgia is all that different. No, yeah, I, it was a a little tongue in cheek, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think they I think they were persistent with him the way they were with Jamar Chase and another recruit from last year that looked like he was going anywhere but LSU, and ultimately. Yeah, no, it, 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 it is a – and look, for this team, LSU, how their offense is designed, they need an elite running back. There's just no other way around it. More than any other position on offense, they need 
a Leonard Fournette, a Darius Geis, a Jeremy Hill. Excuse me. And I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a good running back. So is Nick Brissett. But they're not elite running backs. I mean, they'll be lucky to make it to the NFL. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I do think Ensminger is trying to transition us away from being so dependent on having that bell cow. I agree with that. Running back but carries you, the offense type of guy, but I don't know. I, I'm working on a piece that I, this has been like three weeks in the making, and I haven't got the right tone or approach to yeah. it. But I, I'm reaching this point where I'm – and I've talked about this. I've argued with people about this on Twitter and different things. It's like I am upset with the way the offense is performing, but I also think Ensminger gets at least one more year. Yeah, I guess that's what the topic we should get into. Um, ooh. Okay, let, let's just be frank. The offense is terrible. Can terrible. We, we we all agree on that. Let, let's uh, um, let, let's just lay the cards and say there's no way to sugarcoat it. The offense is bad, and it's uh, worse than last year's offense, which you fired a coordinator for. Yes, I know that I there was reasons for firing him that weren't due to performance, but yes, it's bad in every way. It can be bad. And it looks bad is, on paper. Is all I'm saying. Now, and there is. You know, some mitigating factors. They have played an extraordinarily difficult schedule against defenses. I mean, they've played something like seven defenses ranked in the top 20 in the SNP. I mean, it's ridiculous how many good, how many great defenses they've played. The offensive line's been banged up all year, and it wasn't that good to begin with. Um, So there is at least some mitigating factors. But even with the mitigating factors, it's still bad. Uh, It doesn't excuse how bad it's been i think the aggravating part i mean another mitigating factor that we've all kind of glossed over is burrow is a first year starter this is his first time playing significant football so i think that's fair that's hard but i mean i i think what's irritating is that okay we struggle out the gate you kind of are like okay it's a new new coordinator new quarterback you're trying to figure things out but it's like the, the unit's gotten worse as the season's gone on? Yeah, I think it's gotten worse because the schedule's gotten dif- more difficult. I know that seems crazy, but I think that run of games they just went through where they... Well, yeah, State-Bama. Yeah, I think the Georgia-State-Bama Georgia really did a number on this team. Yeah, and Florida in there for good measure. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just really think that's just something where they, they just never... That's when they should have been hitting their stride. And they didn't have one layup in there. And not even a layup. I mean, they didn't even play one team that was just kind of okay on defense. They played four great defenses right in a row. That's very true. And I think it just destroyed any rhythm they had. Um, I do think almost all of the problems do stem from an offensive line that is incredibly young. And then on top of that, just had so many injuries, it never got any consistency. It's starting to get some. But if you look at it, the 2015 and 2016 classes are wastelands. Uh, in fact, the only success is Weathersby, and he's gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you are looking at a team that is basically working from its freshman and sophomore classes, and that's it on the offensive line. There are no real – the only upperclassmen on the line are JUCOs that are really contributing. I have a hard time with this just because I know this has been something you've been hammering, but I feel like outside of Cushenberry, every player on that line is pretty highly esteemed. You look at it. I I went through it. They have they're starting two four stars and three three stars, according to two four seven. Their backups, the primary backups are three four stars and two three stars. That's that's really good, but it's not great. It's not like Alabama, which I know is an unfair comparison, but Alabama's got two five stars and three four stars in its starting lineup. And every single guy in their two depth, two deep is a four star, and half of LSU's are three stars. And I'm not saying the line is untalented, but it's not talented enough that it could overcome a lack of consistency in the lineup. If they were able to just crank out the same lineup from day one, I think they would have performed better. I think they had that kind of talent. Yeah. I, and also, it really is young. I, I think this is a. I, I think this is a line that's taking us lumps this year, and will perform next year. It reminds me a lot of Tennessee a couple years ago. Um, 
I know not most of our listeners aren't Tennessee fans, but Tennessee one year just basically started five freshmen. It wasn't quite that bad. It was close to it. And Tennessee had the worst line, offensive line in the conference for two years because they just had all of these underclassmen. But by the time they became juniors and seniors, all of a sudden it was the best line in the conference. Just because these guys had so much experience, they played together for so long, and it wasn't like they were just terrible players. You know, they were all rated about as highly as this LSU class, a bunch of four and three stars. I mean, yeah, the interesting thing is, is I don't know from a star perspective, it doesn't look much brighter in the immediate future because you brought in a Juco guy last year who couldn't win a starting role in, in Treor. Your other well, Juco Lewis. guy who, yeah, but he's a three-star and yeah, he's one of your starters. You got, your backup center is like a three-star nothing recruit. I mean, I think he's going to be a good player, but he just doesn't have any, you know. I think what you're looking at, you have two four-stars that were redshirted this year. I mean, I know they're both, you know, one's a defensive tackle converted, but I think Rosenthal is going to be a really good player. Wire, did Wire finish as a four-star? He was Yeah, Wire finished as a four-star. So you, you have two red, you have two red shirts, you four stars that'll play next year that aren't playing now, and then in the 2019 class you have a five star and two four stars. Improve it. That, how can they hang on to them? That's that's that is the big thing, and also just having a senior class. I mean, right now all they their their senior class is Brumfeld, and that's it. Yeah, and their junior class is essentially Donovan Campbell, who barely plays, and two JUCOs. I, th- this is a team that desperately needs some experience. I mean, they need some veteran leaders, and I think that's what happens next year. These guys start growing in those roles. You know, Sadiq Charles will be a two-year starter by that point. Yeah, and he certainly looks very good at times. He does. I, I think. But this is a team that's getting killed on the offensive line. It just – and I, I – but then again, once I say that, a lot of it's talent. I mean, I think it's talent and experience. I think it's the combination of the two. That doesn't mean it's not scheme at all. I, I think everyone gets caught in this. It's an either-or thing. You know, it's partly scheme. I mean, this team can't run a screen pass to save its life, and I just really can't understand that. That's um, brutal. They don't get the ball out quick enough. Um, like the, the reads they have for their quarterback, they haven't adjusted the fact that their line's getting killed. Yeah, I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know where I land on the whole thing. <laughs> They've had a lot of attrition. Some of these guys I feel like should be better players than they are. The, I think what it is is that it looks like they show promise. It just hasn't come together yet. Yeah. I'm actually encouraged for the future, if that makes any sense. I'm just not – it's just not going to happen this year. I think there's been too many injuries. There's been too much guys bouncing around the lines, playing a whole bunch of position. It's kind of a write-off year for the line. But I do think going forward, it looks pretty bright. Yeah, and it's hard to blame anyone that would be impatient with it because it feels like every year we're saying the same stuff. <laughs> I think yeah. that's that's the hardest part about the LSU offense is that – you feel like you're every year is a reset, and every year you're right back in the same place. Like, I, I agree with that, but I'm really trying hard to say Orgeron is a new regime. I, I mean, one of the things that I criticize when the hire was made is that it's a continuity hire, and I'm trying to get away from that mindset. It's a new hire, and they have the right to put in a program – and create the team in their own image. And I think they really have done a lot to try and remake the team. There's a ton of underclassmen starting on both sides of the ball. I I think Orgeron has kind of gone gangbusters trying to remake the roster. Whether he needed to is a different discussion, but he has done so. Where he's basically kind of kicked off all the old Miles recruits, or at least pushed them out gently. There isn't a whole lot of upperclassmen anywhere on this team. I mean, except for like Devin White. And so I don't like saying, oh, well, we've had this problem for years because I think that's dinging Orgeron with the problems of the Miles years. I think 
Orgeron gets a clean slate. He gets judged on last year and this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree to a sense. I, I think Ensminger is a guy that's been around even under the Miles era. So yeah, That's true. Yeah, that's uh, part of it that hangs around. Part of it is you paid a lot of money to bring in a top coordinator. We can debate whether or not Matt Canada is that. But you pay that money for that guy and then immediately run him off. And then instead of turning around and saying like – Hiring another guy? Yeah. Yeah, instead of saying, oops, I fucked up. I hired the wrong guy. You just turn around and like promote – someone who doesn't really seem to exhibit any I don't know yeah no and look and I, I was rereading today kind of what we wrote when Ensminger got hired and, and both of us were just like what the you know what the hell are you doing yeah. like it, it, it just felt like such a give up and I think 11 months later it feels like just as much of a give up as it did then like I, I really don't understand the Ensminger hire. I think he's a really nice guy. I like him. You know, he's an LSU legend. But if you're talking about I'm going to remake the offense, he's not that guy. This was a I was really pissed at Canada and I went back, you know, I went back and got my blankie. You know, <laughs> I did something really comfortable. And I think there's two ways, and this is where I get really conflicted. On the one hand, LSU, if they fire Ensminger, they will have gone through now, what, four coordinators in three years? Because, you know, I mean, Ensminger twice, Canada, and uh, um, they fired, what's his fate, Cragthorpe, you know, midway through the season when they fired Miles. Cameron. Cameron, I'm sorry. So, on the one hand, I want to bring Ensminger back just because you need a little bit of consistency so you're not just always bringing in a new coordinator. I un- I at least have sympathy to that viewpoint. You know, hey, why don't we just have a guy come back for a second year? Yeah. <clears throat> On the flip side, this offense is – it's it's terrible. And I don't think anyone thinks Ensminger is – it's just a matter that he hasn't gotten his system to work yet. I mean – He's a guy who he, – he's not on the cutting edge of offensive philosophy. So if you're – he's on a two-year contract. If you're just going to get rid of him next year anyway, keeping him is almost let, – let's even assume we beat A&M. Uh, I, I don't want to make that assumption, but I'm just saying for the sake of argument here. And, you know, you're 10-2 and two in the regular season. I feel that's hiding the problem of the offense. And it would actually say something good about Orgeron if he fired Ensminger saying, I'm not going to let the record distract me from underlying problems that are beneath, you know, beneath the surface. The record's great and I'm happy with it, but that doesn't cure all. You know, we're always trying to get better. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that's not that's not going to happen. But I mean, the, you pinpointed some things that I have issues with the hire, which is I don't know what Ensminger's system even is. I don't know yeah. that he necessarily has one. And if he does, I'm almost certain it's probably not this sort of modern spread thing that <coughs> Ogeron wants to do. So it just feels like he plucked an old-time coach. It's basically like if someone showed up in the NFL and like gave Norv Turner Chip Kelly's playbook and we're like, that- go run this. Yeah, that's actually a really good – yeah, because, you know, North Turner, you know, he won some Super Bowls back in the day. You know, he was a good coach. Yeah, it's not that you're an incompetent coach. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying – But he, he's for the 1990s. Like, yeah. <laughs> things have changed. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like he's trying to do modern things, but he doesn't fully get there. And so yeah. I just I, – I don't get why LSU – and this has been the – it was the same under Miles, and I know that – you have a very fair point. We shouldn't penalize Ogeron for things that Miles did, but it's just a repetition of that behavior that's irritable, which is like, I'm going to go hire this old school coach to come in and coach this hybrid offense that we do like eight different things. But we don't really have like a real honed philosophy other than we like to run the ball. And it's yeah, just and like, can, when can we hire the guy that's like Dave Aranda on offense? The guy that's just going to come in and do his scheme, you know? I, I do agree with that. I, I mean, I, I I think he should. I think the problem with the Ensminger hire is it was so much about firing Canada. Yeah. 
I mean, I really think they viewed that he was so toxic. We just have to get rid of that guy, and that's all we need to do. Yeah, which I'm totally fine with, by the way. I didn't. Even, I, I don't even care that. about Canada. Yeah, I, I think people who are now trying to promote Canada as like this great coach. Look, yeah. the offense was terrible last year. It was just terrible in different ways. And if there was also a personality clash, I, I there was nothing about the Canada offense that made me think that we were going to get better. I, I will be honest. I, I I cursed at my TV about our offense a lot more last year than I have this year. This year's offense is bad in a very boring way. Um, last year's offense was bad in a very spectacular way. Like we, we got a lot of just pre-snap penalties. We didn't look like we knew what we were doing. Everybody looked like they were on a different page. Um, it was just, it just was a discombobulated mess. Um, this year's offense, like the running backs can't break a big run. Um, Burrow looks inconsistent. And then of course the offensive line can't block anybody. Um, some of those things, I don't know. They haven't gotten me to scream at my TV. Some of them I kind of understand. Yeah, I'm trying to look up Maryland's uh, Maryland's offensive S and P is they're 93rd nationally, which is yeah. ten spots yeah. behind LSU. Yeah, they're awful too. So let's yeah, let's <laughs> not try and. I don't think firing Canada was the problem. I think the problem is we fire him and like two days later he's like, I'm just going to fire the guy. I, I'm going to hire the guy I like. You know, he's a friend of mine, and I do think that's one of. Orgeron's weaknesses is that you know he has his buddies, yeah, and he wants to hire his friends, and I get it, but which feels like less miles, yeah, and I, I agree with that. But a little, and I think we talked about this before. A little bit of tension is good, yes. You know, and, and it'd be nice if they hired, you know, you know, you know it doesn't like if I'll just throw it out there because it's you know it's the big name. If they went out there and hired Lane Kiffin, who is an Orgeron guy, yep, I think that would be that'd be the perfect hire for this team. Yeah, how different are things right now if it worked out as it was expected and he hired Kiffin and Kiffin doesn't get that that uh, Florida Atlantic job? Florida Atlantic, thank you. But how much does he like the Florida Atlantic? Like, can you call Lane Kiffin? This off season, <laughs> that's an I'm interesting question. And, and, and say, hey, Lane, Florida Atlanta looks pretty bad. You know, you wanna you wanna coach LSU? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think so. One other thing, one other point I wanted to make was, I think a hidden thing that probably uh, I wasn't aware of, and maybe you were, maybe I just missed this, but. This week, they asked about Brennan playing, and he discloses, oh, he has an injury that means he can't play. And so knowing that sort of puts me in a perspective mode on the offense, thinking one of the things that's irritated me this year is our offense clearly works better when Burrow is running a bit. Yes. But then they don't do it. And you're like, what the fuck? Why aren't they doing it? And it's like, well, they're probably not doing it because they're thinking, well, we got about three of those a game because if he goes down with injury, we are fucked. (laughs) That that is true. It changes the whole way you coordinate an offense, right? I I think that's very true. I I think there was the risk of, I think quarterback depth is a huge problem at LSU. Um, It was one thing to lose um, McMillan, losing Narcisse really hurt. Yeah, because you just have no other capable guy. Yeah, and if Brennan's hurt, yeah, you have to protect Burrow. Yeah, God bless also, Andre Sally or whatever. Like he's never going to see a snap. <laughs> and look, and this is also a guy who's taking a beating. Not only can we you not run the ball with him, Burrow is getting the crap kicked out of him every game. Yeah, if he stays in the pocket. I, I mean, it's it's bad on both ends. Uh, it, it is hard to call a passing play. Because he's going to take a shot. Yeah. But it, it does make me, I don't know if it makes you feel more, it, it makes Ensminger easier to forgive. Because yeah, he's dealing with some real limitations that aren't all self-inflicted. If you look at how the stats, you know, like the split stats, this is definitely a team that tries to run it up early and then sit on the football the rest of the game. LSU throws the ball more for more yards and more efficiently in the first and second quarter 
than it does in the second half. Our our passing numbers fall off a cliff in the second half. You think that's like uh, they don't and believe I, in their depth? I think it's very much they don't believe in their depth. I think this is a team that they get up and the idea is like – and also I think they believe in the defense. Yeah. It's like th- this team, once they're up 14 points, they're going to try and win the game by seven. Or, you know – Win it by eight. They're going to give up. You know, they're up by fourteen. They're going to give up two field goals. Win it by eight and give high fives. Like I really do think that's the strategy, and I don't think that's entirely wrong given the roster, the offense going into this year. I think we all looked at it kind of like, oh my god, I don't know what this offense is going to do. And yeah. no one outside of Justin Jefferson has really stepped up as a playmaker. So it's hard for them to say, okay, well, let's just give the keys to the offense when no one on the offense has really made a case of trust me. That's true. Go score me a touchdown. Who? (laughs) Who's going to do that? (laughs) I mean, Jefferson's the only guy on the offense I really trust. And and Charles. I think Charles has really kind of developed into the one lineman I know, you know, and Cush has done – as a sophomore, starting as a center has just been remarkable. He's still he's a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, he, he's. I mean, Will Clapp could have come back this year. I, I wish he would have. That that would have completely transformed this team. Yeah, I see. I I feel like Cush is like the weakest lineman on the team by far. I do, but I think the fact that he's been able to play this well when he's been forced to play has actually been kind of impressive. Yeah, it's kind of concerning to me. And looking forward, I mean, obviously he can improve, but we need him to improve, I guess, because and there's not considerable depth behind him. His his only backup is a freshman. Yeah, it's a true freshman that you don't want to play. <laughs> Who will you know is re- kind of probably redshirt. Yeah, it's not like Cardell Thomas is his backup. This is a yeah, three star developmental like, kid. Once again, it gets it gets back to the issue of experience, <laughs> talent, and depth on the offensive line. And I think next year they'll lose Brumfield and no one else. And I think that's what the line needs. The line just needs an infusion of depth. So then three guys who haven't really played will become, you know, will move into the lineup. You'll have Wire, Rosenthal, and Smith will move into the rotation. And then you're also going to bring in three recruits. All of a sudden, that's six new linemen. Now, maybe three of them, three of the new recruits won't all play, but you're expecting. That your five-star recruit, you know, Cardell Thomas is going to play right off the bat. Yes. So if nothing else, you're expecting four guys to improve the depth next year when you're only losing one. I think that's going to be a huge boon to this offensive line. I'm, I'm actually – and as you know, I have been one of the bigger critics of our offensive line over the past decade. Next year is the first time I feel actually kind of confident about our offensive line. I don't think it's going to be great, but I do think it'll be above average. I hope so. I I think I have reached a point where I am just frankly exhausted by hoping for the LSU offense to be good. Like, I just refuse to believe it until it happens. I completely, you know, understand where that's coming from, but I can actually see the light at the end of the tunnel. And... You don't have like that massive transfers that really ruin the 2015 and 2016 classes. Yeah, I mean those classes just got gutted. Well, that's got to be the offseason mantra here: is let's see who we can keep on the roster and yeah, don't let them transfer and don't let so many guys go to the NFL too. Yeah, I mean, look, if Devin White decides he wants to go to the NFL, Godspeed. He, he's good enough to play in the NFL. Whatever. I mean. I'd love for him to come back, but he's Devin White. Greedy is gone. I got no, you know no problem with Greedy. Um, other than that, I really – I mean, Fajoko maybe. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Is my concern is guys like Lawrence and Fajoko and Alexander and Divinity. Like they are talented players, but – it's just not enough, you know. Like they haven't done you, enough to, to. You can lose one line, you know, defensive lineman. Yeah, but you can't lose two. If like either Fahoko or Alexander leaves, if you just lose one, all right, that's just that's just attrition. 
but if you lose two or three, then yeah, if Divinity leaves, I, I can't. I mean, there's no way Divinity can leave, right? I mean, I, I guess he can. Anybody can declare, but yeah, I wouldn't. I would not think so. And I, you know, that was a I mean, total just uh, looking yeah, at for, people that are eligible. And that's where we get into Fulton. Like Fulton will be eligible, but it, I think you can make a very good case to him. It's better for him to come back. That's how I feel about Richard Lawrence, and I'm like, he was a f- very hyped recruit. I don't think he's delivered on his recruiting hype. He's shown yeah. moments of being very good. Yeah, I, I think you can maybe get one more year out of Lawrence and say, hey, this let's is, really blow it out next year. Yeah, turn yourself into a, a top ten pick, because you can. And also, look, you get Chase on back for next year. Yeah, that was a huge loss, too. Yeah, that's a huge loss. And also, look, let's say you do lose uh, – um, um, sorry, Devin White on the inside. You know, you've planned for it. Queen, Baskerville. I mean, they're not going to be as good as Devin White, but these are guys that you know you've prepared to come in there. And also, when pressed into duty, Queen's been very good. Yeah. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm not terrified of losing Devin White. I, I think the depth is there at the linebacker position. And on offense, like, who do they lose? They lose Brumfeld and a bunch of tight ends we never use. Yeah, Foster Moreau. You lose Brosset, which I don't want to say no great loss, but no great loss. Yeah, you. Uh, I think you lo- you lose his leadership more than you lose his production. Yeah. But I think you'll have you'll still have Elair. Yep. And he'll just be the guy who steps into the leadership role. Yep. Uh, you know, like this is a team. Almost everybody's coming back. So as people say, hey, you need to be gaining on Alabama, I agree. You do need to be gaining on Alabama. I think this team has gained. It's just this was the year where they had to come back from – do you remember where we were last year? I mean this team was not good last year. The record was mainly a mirage of a terrible schedule. Well, that's a – I mean how much of this year is a mirage? I really don't think it is. I know people – I point out, like, uh, Miami hasn't done as well, but if you delete the LSU loss, they've played a lot of just six and three teams. That's good football teams. If they hadn't played LSU, almost everyone they've beaten would be ranked had they beaten LSU. You know, Auburn, the only reason they're not ranked is because they lost to LSU. Now, they wouldn't be top 10, but they'd be a top 25 team. Mississippi State would be ranked. Yeah, this is so. This was another thought I've had. Is if you're taking the long view here, um, touching on what you just said, you could look at this season and say, "Oh, LSU had X breaks go their way, and that's really why they ended up with the record that they did." And it's possible that that's true. It's also possible that those breaks are going LSU's way because their talent level is starting to rise up again, and so it's that extra level of talent injected into the program that's starting to put them over the top in those close games. And also, like, how many close games have they played? They played the Auburn game. That's true. Um, the only other game that's been decided by less than a, a score or less is the Arkansas game, which I think it's kind of a misleading way to say it was a seven-point game. Every other game's been pretty much a blowout. That's true. I guess if, I guess just because of the way this team plays, it feels like everything is close. <laughs> yeah, and, but it really hasn't been. You know, like, this... And, like, I view this as this was the year this team kind of reasserted itself as a good team. Now, I don't think it's a great team yet. I mean, it's missing a lot of points, but I think the foundation really got built this year. And I, I think people are just kind of blowing past this point. And it's sort of like we talked about this in the run-up to Bama, where don't let the Bama game distract you from where this team is. Don't let it ruin – and I, I, I don't want to say that it's okay to always lose to Bama – but I do remember saying this before the Bama game, and I do I meant it, and I think it's still true. It's okay if this team loses to this Bama team. Yeah, I have, I have I don't I don't think twice about the loss. The manner of the loss irritates the fuck out of me. Yeah, and you just gotta and honestly like it could. I don't want to say it could have gone either way. It couldn't have. Bama's going to win that game, mm-hmm. but it it was six nothing at the end of the first quarter. And they hit Justin Jefferson in the chest on a deep pass. If he catches that ball, 
That's a touchdown. It's seven six, and it's a totally different football game. Yeah, I, I mean, if you can change just one play this season, you change that play. I would like to see how that Alabama game goes if Justin Jefferson makes that catch. So it, it's Alabama did just beat the crap out of LSU. I don't want to make it sound like we were one play away from winning. But we were one play away from making it a better game than it was. Yeah, I I take less away from that than I do losing to Florida stinks. Even though, I mean, Florida is, like, pretty good, I guess. Yeah. Um, And then the Miami game loses a lot of sex appeal just because they've been really, really bad. Yeah, they've completely gone in the tank. Um, And, look, the Florida game was basically they had all the emotion and – you know, that's what makes college football great. You know, they you know do the 10-year anniversary. They have Tebow come back. They wanted that game. And oh, fuck. I, look, I, sometimes games are won on emotion. I, I know when people analyze games, they, they – analysts hate that idea. They hate it. But it's true. Game, a lot of games, particularly between teams that are fairly evenly matched, are won on emotion. And that's just the way it goes. That's true. And, uh, and Florida just, I hate to say they wanted it more, but they wanted it more. And th- th- that game does stick in my craw because LSU should have beaten Florida. They play that game 100 times. I think LSU wins 60 or 70 of them. But they played on one of the days that Florida won, and that's just the way it goes. On the flip side, if they play Georgia 100 times, how many times do we beat Georgia? Yeah. So, you know, the football gods giveth, they taketh away. But I think the important thing for this team is that I really do think they've built a foundation for next year. You know, and also, you know, if they can beat, I'm assuming Rice. I will say I'm assuming that one. But if they beat Rice and if they can beat A&M, You've given yourself a foundation to move forward in the next season. You, know, you've, you, you have something positive to build on, and almost everyone is coming back. Yeah, absolutely. This team needs to have all eyes on the Sugar Bowl or Fiesta or whichever yeah. one they're going to get slotted in. And the things that you need to get better are coming in. I think the Emory signing is kind of the boost you need. You need a playmate. This team right now just lacks offensive playmakers. To be the contrarian, if they miss out on, I don't know how to say his last name, Ishmael Sopsher. Yes, yeah, Sopsher, I think, yeah. That is, that's going to be painful because that is your that's five-star you, D-line recruit in-state, and you're going to lose him to Alabama. That would hurt. But I'm going to say it's not going to be a critical loss given right now they have six of the top seven in Louisiana, according to 247. If you lose one, you you just can't let that be a debilitating blow. If you get six out of seven on, of the top, and I think four of the top four, I think Softer's number five rated in the state, that, that's – I mean, you still want him. I'm not saying he's not a key recruit. He is. But given how they're else doing in the class, I, that, that is not a death blow to your recruiting class. I don't know. It's just – We've had elite running backs, and it hasn't made the difference to take this team back up to an elite level. That's true, and I'm just thinking about this team's roster. There is no elite running back on it. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that needs John Emery. There's also no elite defensive lineman right now. Yeah, that's true. You know. I just I feel like, I mean, if he was a cornerback or if he was a wide receiver, I probably wouldn't feel as... I agree. Married to it, but he—he's a big recruit, and he's also what not going to sign until February. So we have plenty of time to yeah to ruminate on this. Yeah, to worry about that. But if you're getting this many of the top, you know, the top ten in Louisiana, it's hard for me to say that this is not going to be a successful class. If particularly if you lock down the number one, you know, guy in Louisiana, you get all of the top three. That, that's kind of what you're looking for for an LSU class. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a really good chance of winding up with seven of the top ten, and I think a couple of the others they didn't even really. Well, if they, get, if they get softer, they get seven of the top seven. 
according to 247. He's the only one in the top seven they don't have. I'm looking at their top recruits. I'm, am I? Am oh, I'm, on, I'm on the composite. Are you on yeah. just their ratings? I might have been on their ratings. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But by their ratings, you're right. On their composite ratings, they have some other kid in there. Okay, sorry. So, yeah, state rating. That is right, yeah. The point is, is that this is going to be a really good class with or without Sosa. I do think Sosa is a very big recruit. I don't want to downplay him and say, oh, it doesn't matter if we don't get him. But, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. He's number two. So, he, he's the guy you want to get. Like, he's. And I think we're going to get Devontae Lee. Yeah, I do too. So, yeah, it, I think it does come down to Sosa, whether this is a good class or a great class. Anyway, yeah, I can lose, you know, Brighton Constantin if he goes to Clemson. Right. Yeah, that's what. That's all I was trying to say. Yeah, I think that is a big thing. It's who you lose him to. Yeah. You know, it's... It's losing it's your that. best defensive lineman and losing him to your biggest rival. Yeah. And, yeah. But I do think LSU is closing the gap on Bama. I know that sounds weird, um, given that we just lost by 29 points to them. Um, but so much of this team is freshmen and sophomores. I, I, they, Orgeron is really building the team in his own image. And yeah. I, I, I like that. I, I like that he's kind of taking a short-term hit to say, I'm going to build the team as I want to build it. It's an underrated part of the team that's not really mentioned is that it's a young team. No one, yeah. People don't really talk about us as a young team. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 like everyone kind of assumes this is like this. You know. And I look, I do think Orgeron did squander some of the talent that he inherited, but that was last year's team. I think this year's team is this year's team. Uh, I think once you're in year two, you got to stop talking about, Oh, what you inherited. Mm hmm. You know, it starts becoming, you know, your team. That's for sure. You know, he, he has – he's truly built a team up in his own image. And I, I, I like – I think that's the thing that I've liked best about what he has done. He has aggressively recruited guys and kind of ruthlessly replaced the old guard. So this wasn't good enough. And it did cost him. I mean, you know, this team lost to Troy last year. And – you know, they looked really bad at times last year. And even this year, the offense is not working. But I think a lot of that is because of the decisions he's made to clean house. <clears throat> and kind of start from, I don't want to say ground zero, but... He did, he, you know, he, he kind of tore this thing down to the nubs. That's true. All right, are you ready for our one-hour rice preview? Yeah, our one-hour rice preview. Let's do it. Um, woo. Um, Carlos Carson will not come back. I think his records are safe. Um, yeah, rice is a bad football team. We, sh- we should beat them pretty badly. Yeah, it's going to be a snooze fest. Yeah. I mean, look, LSU has not played an in- – I don't want to say it hasn't played an interesting game – but the games themselves have been – they have not been fun to watch in a while. And Rice is going to be no different. Um, hopefully A&M will be what changes everything. Yeah, I guess I need to – I think Rice is so bad that I earlier said Andre Sale would never see a snap. And he could see a snap this weekend. <laughs> yeah, like LSU does need to blow out Rice. Well, let's, let's be honest. And if they're up by 30 in the third quarter, they just – if they're up by 30 in the fourth quarter, they should bench Burrow and not risk. Yeah, I don't want to. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would like to see them, you know, beat them by 40 or 50 points. Rice is bad. They're really bad. Uh, Rice has had some good teams recently. This is not one of them. Yeah. Um, And really, it's all about the A&M game. I think it's weird you win enough games to add the next game always becomes the biggest game of the season. Of course. I mean, that's just kind of how it works, but I do think how people feel about this season will come down to the A&M game now. And I felt, if, I felt way more confident before Fulton's injury. Yeah, that, that does hurt. Um, and look, 
I don't want to get too far into a preview of AM, but they really do have a dreadful pass defense. I, I do think Burrow will be able to throw the ball against them. Yep. They just can't. Uh, Adam has fits of explosiveness on offense. So. I think that's the big thing. And LSU is not an explosive team. Yeah. Just don't get in a hole. Should yeah. be okay. I, I think that's the thing. A&M is a team that was tied with Ole Miss late. And we beat Ole Miss by like 30 or 40 points. Yeah. Uh, that gives you an idea. Like, as much as people are kind of building up A&M to be this kind of boogeyman of like, oh, you haven't played A&M yet. They're a really good team. A&M's not that good. No, they're really not. I mean, they're not terrible. I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta come out there and play. But I, I think Mississippi State's better. I think Auburn's better. Florida and Georgia are certainly better. Um, but yeah, they're they're good enough to beat you. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. And look, you know, you beat them. If Georgia gets their ass kicked by Auburn in the SEC championship game, and there's no way I'm going to root for Alabama to blow out anybody. But if they do, I mean, this team's looking at a Sugar Bowl bid. And that's really a great season. It really is, uh, particularly what we were expecting going into it. And I'll look, even if you weren't, I, I mean, I think going to the Sugar Bowl or even the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach. If you go to a New York a New Year's Six Bowl, unless you win to the season as the preseason number one team, that's a good year. And even then, it's probably a good year if you went in as the preseason number one. Absolutely. So I, I do think people's standards are a tad high. It, it's not settling. If your idea of, oh, this team's going to go to the Sugar Bowl, you're just settling for mediocrity. That's literally not what mediocrity is. That's You just had one of the best seasons in college football. You just didn't have the very best. Yeah, I thought T-Bob made a good point. I think it was yesterday or today on Twitter of like the same fans that during the preseason were talking about how LSU is barely going to be bowl eligible are now disappointed in LSU season. Yeah. It doesn't like, make any sense. I mean, yeah, like be happy a little bit, guys. I mean, it's not uh, – and I know that, you know, they're saying, well, you're just accepting that you're falling behind Bama. But I, I do think they're closing the gap. I, I think this was an important year of just building a foundation. It, it's sort of like looking at, you know, at a guy building a house and being pissed that he doesn't have a roof on the house yet when he just spent the entire time, you know, building the first floor. Like, we'll get to it. You don't build the, you know, that's getting ahead of yourself. Build the foundation first. Do it right. Yeah, I think the most difficult part for most people, including myself, is you're just looking at this and thinking, here we go again. Like, we're not going to have an offense. Yeah, and I get that. And also, and this is something just for this year, and I do not think it's okay to lose to Alabama every year. I think it was okay this year, and I want to make that clear. This year was okay. This is probably the best Alabama team ever, and this is nowhere near the best LSU team of the last 10 years. So let's just accept it for this year and we'll come, you know, we'll reconvene in 2019 and see what we can do. And also, look, I I liked going into the game trying. I don't think we I don't think we went into that game defeatist. I think the players, you know, went in there trying to take their best shot. And I do like that about LSU. We don't so many teams go in against Alabama already beaten. And LSU doesn't. Everyone on that team thought they could win that game. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm not as confident as you. I mean, I don't think they could, but I think they, you know, we didn't go into that game losing it on a mental level. Yeah. Yeah, I but mean, it, it didn't feel like we immediately wilted, but they definitely get rattled on offense. Like, they just don't have the composure. Yeah, and, and that's where you get to, like, our guys just didn't make plays. You know, Jefferson, who even had a good game, dropped the biggest pass of the game. You know, it's always the one you miss. You know, but he showed back up against Arkansas, and he, you know, he, I mean, he just destroyed Arkansas. Yeah, he's he's been very impressive. 
He is putting out Beckham-like numbers. He's on pace, yeah. yeah. Out of nowhere. Though he, though he is more of a Jarvis Landry type receiver because he's more of a possession guy than an explosive. <clears throat> but still, like he is, he's the one guy on offense that you can really point to and be like, "All right, we got that. We got that taken care of." We we now need to deal with the other ten guys. Yeah, at this point, I think you just have to hope. Because I don't know. We don't have much history to rely on to say it's going to Yeah, yeah, I think just going to the offseason, and that's where you get into the fact of, I do think we need a new offensive coordinator. Like, I don't know who you get. I mean, I I still like Phil Longo of Ole Miss, but uh, I think he's going to stick it out there. This is. I think that you quietly look for a guy. You don't fire Ensminger and then look. You look while Ensminger is still your offensive coordinator, and if you find someone great, then you announce it. If you don't, then Ensminger comes back the next year. Yeah. I, I think that's how they'll treat the search. So I think it'll be a very quiet behind the scenes kind of. kind of thing just you know put out some feelers and see who's interested in the job my guess is a lot of people are going to be hoping that we make some sort of change and there are no changes not just the coordinator <laughs> but to any of the positions no i think that's very possible and look I, I you know i i think you know you don't want to get rid of craig if this is his first year as the offensive line coach and he has a pretty good track record um your running back coach just uh you know snagged a big recruit so you don't want to fire him Defense. I've got no complaints on the defensive side of the ball. So it's really the only coordinator, you know, only coach that's really on the chopping block is Ensminger. Yeah. I just highly doubt that happens. Yeah, I think I'd put the odds at pretty low. It's not impossible, but it's it's not it's not likely. Yeah, I mean, if if there is a shift, I bet it's Ensminger, Ensminger retires or... Yeah, I think that's... Well, if they fire him, they're not going to fire him. They're, he's he's going to go to an analyst role or something, you know. Yeah, he's going to retire and spend time with his family and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah I, I, they're not going to humiliate him. No, uh, I totally, no chance. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, he might step down and be like, look, I just don't want to do this. But he's not going to do it without talking to Ed, like... So if he retires, it's not because he did it all on his own. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's that's where we are right now. It's I don't know. It's it, it's weird. This team's headed towards a ten win season, and everybody seems down. I don't get it. Yeah, there's a a little bit of a cloud, but. I think people will rebound. We beat Rice, beat A&M, go to the Sugar Bowl. People will be excited. And look, in the Sugar Bowl against Oklahoma, that'd be fun. Play their super awesome offense against our defense. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, and I'm, also, I'm actually rooting for Oklahoma to get in the playoff because I think they're one of the teams that could somehow upset Bama. I don't think so. Their defense is fucking terrible. It is horrendous, but it's, I don't have faith in Alabama to – I, uh, when you get to a game where it's like fifty to fifty, <laughs> you never. Know. Alabama will rush for four hundred yards against Oklahoma. I, I'm still mad at Mike Gundy for not running the ball on that two point conversion. They might, but I think OU will how get seven hundred yards you, of offense on them. How could you not run the ball in that situation? I, I mean, just Oklahoma's run defense is fucking atrocious. It, it's it's embarrassingly poor. I don't see how they beat West Virginia twice in a row. They got an exciting quarterback. They do. I think it's more likely that West Virginia wins that twice, and then they go to the playoffs. We'll see. You know, give me some Will Greer action. That's a (laughs) Florida reject. Yeah, let's get into the fun stuff. But no, I don't don't see any. Maybe Notre Dame loses to Syracuse. I I don't think Michigan's going to lose. Clemson and Bam are going to win out. There's, there's no. It's hard to sneak into the playoffs. Well, Cuse is going to do it this weekend. I'm. Confident. I hope so. I hope Cuse can do it. 
But uh, and if they lose, I'm rooting for Washington State. Come on, Cougs. <laughs> Go Cougs. Come on, climb on up there. The Cougs in the playoffs would be a, a blast.